You're listening to Conversations on Character, a podcast brought to you by the Jubilee Centre for Character and Virtues at the University of Vermont. Your host is Dr. Tom Harrison, and this week he interviews Dr. Eugene Ohu, Senior Lecturer and Principal Investigator for the Virtual Human Computer Interaction Lab within the Lagos Business School. This week's guest is Dr. Eugene Ohu, uh, who is a senior lecturer in organisational behaviour at Lagos Business School in Nigeria. And I had a really good chat with Eugene, speaking from Nigeria, about the work that he's doing in character education, which has been funded by the Timberton World Charity Foundation. Uh, and he's been looking at uh, how technology, in particular virtual reality, can be used to cultivate character, can be seen as a positive for character education and development and we explore that topic and others about a kind of African approach to character education and also his kind of journey into character education in some detail in this podcast. I hope you really enjoyed listening to it. Eugene, thank you very much indeed for joining us all the way from Lagos in Nigeria for this podcast. I'm really looking forward to my conversation with you today. Thank you for having me Tom. It's a, it's a pleasure. We were. I was very keen to invite you onto this podcast because I've worked with you for the last year or two, and I know you're doing some really kind of exciting and and really kind of quite innovative experimental work around kind of approaches to character education. But before we start to talk about that, um, I'd love to know what really got you into character education in the first place. What what kind of really interested you in approaches or educational approaches to kind of cultivating desirable qualities in, in kind of children and young people in, in uh, Nigeria? Uh, thank you, Tom. I, uh, in talking about uh, how I became interested in character education, I would link it to some personal events in my life, okay, so to speak. Um, when I was an undergraduate, I started to volunteer in a boys' club during weekends and summer. Okay, so activities like accompanying them for sports, which in this part is soccer, weekend long camps and longer ones during the summer holidays. So I was about 20 years old and then the kids I was dealing with were between the ages of 13 and 16. Through working with them, I I became convinced about the importance of, if you like, the complementarity between friendship and authority as foundations for role modeling and mentorship because this seemed to be what I was doing. Now, considering or despite the age gap, we were friends and they considered me their true buddies. In that climate, they were able to tell me things that sometimes they wouldn't tell their parents and I was able to advise them. And yet, with this friendship, I still had authority because they looked up to me as someone who had been there even though I was just 20 or who knew what to do. So that, for me, reinforced the idea at that early age, so to speak, that friendship is key, authority is key, and both are possible and even necessary to be a good role model, in my opinion. And then also, in that same context, during outdoor activities and camps, I had opportunities both to try to give them good example of virtue, character strength, such as resilience, responsibility, thinking about others, because we had to share chores. I think that experience also helped me to grow because knowing that they were looking up to me, that forced me, so to speak, to try to make my life coherent with my words. So those were in my 20s. And then thereafter, 
um, when technology became popular, I became in, involved in some projects. And one of the first ones I remember was with uh, an NGO called, an Italian NGO called Intermedia Consulting. I did a project with them to study how to understand and then to reduce the impact of violent games on social media. That was during my master's degree in, in Italy. Okay, so I was interested in technology and how to use it well. But I was also I was also aware that social media, for example, which was beginning to gain popularity, could be put to different uses, negative or positive, right? Social media as a tool for socialization, but also as an environment where people socialize. So seeing my interest in the development of teenagers and then my awareness of the power and the attraction of social media and the internet, I began to see an interesting combination there. And after that, around uh, 2014, when I began the, my academic career, so to speak, my PhD was done in 2012, and I started to teach at the Lagos Business School. So around 2012, I did a study again, a research with among 1,000 students and 200 parents in Nigerian schools. Then the study then was to study the relationship between problematic internet use among adolescents and work family conflict of their parents. So one paper, for example, arising from this is currently under review. One was published, one was published in a, a journal of occupational health psychology, and another is currently on, under review. So you can say that it started with some life experiences, okay, interest in youth, their development, importance of friendship, importance of authority, and then my love for technology and seeing them involved in technology, trying to use technology for good or trying to use technology well. Yeah, and, it, and that's, that's where quite a lot of our interests um, particularly intersect, I think, uh, Eugene, because like me, I think you spotted um, that technology was changing the experiences of children and young people and have, was having implications for the sorts of qualities, human qualities they, they developed over that time. But I think you've tried to very much yeah. see technology as something that can also be beneficial in this space as, as well. And I'm going to come on to your particular project where you're using uh, virtual reality in a minute. Yeah. But I mean, generally, is that what you feel that technology can be something that can really help? us cultivate desirable qualities in children and young people uh, rather than often we hear things like social media and other technologies just being kind of very very negative at that age group i, I tend to think with respect to technology i tend to think it's neutral i like to think of it in two ways technology as a tool and technologies as an environment an environment for work an environment for socialization so in that sense you can consider it mirror of the physical society in which we live. To that extent, I wouldn't say technology is the problem in the same way that neither the tools nor the classroom nor the environment is a problem because all of these are occupied by people, powered by people, often adults who are driven by beliefs and ideologies which they got from outside those technologies. So my, my point is to see technology as a neutral medium. Okay, it should be considered that way. And then approaching it as a tool, which is neither good or bad, technology therefore needs um, deliberate and consciously inserted good intention, good content. Otherwise, it becomes easy to embed negative content. Okay, so to that extent, I would say that if left to itself, technology can become bad and can contribute to moral decline. So... 
in a, a neutral to neutral environment, but that is amenable to all sorts of things, right? So to the extent that you hold me to account on what I do with technology, and that technology, social media, for example, can make me anonymous without consequences, it can make me less honest. To the extent that incessant bombardment by media can make me lose sensitivity to the uniqueness of each individual and their needs, technology can make me less compassionate. So on the one hand, it's neutral. On the other hand, there are some affordances that technology has by itself that if I don't have a good grounding, either in character or moral standing, it, it can facilitate negative behaviors, I think. Again, it's similar to my understanding of this. It's almost like you're taking a non-deterministic account that the technology is somewhat neutral and can be seen as a tool for good or less good ends. It's about how we as people use it, but there are some affordances within that technology that that maybe make it um, more problematic and and maybe more likely to act uncompassionately or dishonestly or, or whatever it may be. But what's interesting is I think you're trying to use some of those affordances uh, for positive purposes and to try and cultivate virtues such as compassion and, and empathy, and in particular kind of through virtual reality. Could you just tell us a bit about that project that you're actually working on right now? Yeah, so, so we have a project now trying to use virtual reality to teach empathy and compassion, working with teenagers between 13 and 18 years old. The, the, the motivation or the inspiration for that is the immediate inspiration is Nigeria, a country of 200 million people, more than 250 ethnic groups and 500 languages, all fractured along ethnic lines. And these fractures are often displayed in some violent, discriminatory way. So the intention is motivation is could we perhaps change how young people who make up 60% of this population, how they relate with other ethnic groups through VR? Why VR? We see how people form their opinions and make decisions based on the models they watch on television, shows, real or fiction. They may imitate blindly what they see on television or choose to emulate these things with different degrees of consciousness or awareness. Virtual reality um, allows an almost complete transportation from one physical world to another. It has everything that fascinates me about computers, interactive, okay, can be a teaching tool, but it's more immersive and a more immersive version and this immersion can be done either as a function of the clarity of the images placement of spatial sounds the environment to the point that it's more difficult to tell whether you are really there so it is this immersion we're trying to take advantage of it's a mission that allows you to effectively put yourself in another person's shoes another person's situation another environment the so-called perspective taking that virtual reality will allow the user to experience the presented reality in the first person. Beyond is a bit more involving than watching television or listening to the radio in the first person, as if you are there. 
In fact, in this study we are doing through this first-hand knowledge, we're even trying to, beyond assuming that VR, the immersive property of VR can allow perspective taking, we're even trying to see what, dif- what other aspects, what characteristics of VR, is it the fact that I can observe even more closely, even with the spatial sound, but as an observer who cannot intervene, is that what can increase my perspective taking or empathy? Or is it the fact that I can embody a character? So we also we also trying different things within VR, observation and embodiment. So our project is therefore trying to test these promises of virtual reality, the immersive and perspective taking property of virtual reality to take the position of another person to see whether we can help teenagers to be more empathetic about people from other ethnic groups. And hopefully this should reduce bias and discrimination. How much of an empathy and compassion change can it bring about on the one hand and then for how long? So which is why it's a longitudinal study. So we are testing the, we are testing the effect, empathy and compassion, two months, four months, and six months later. Yeah, which I'm going to uh, ask a bit about that now because um, I know you're, um, the project's ongoing. You're, you're you're halfway through it, but I mean, have, have you got any kind of early kind of indication of how it's working, either from your responses from the uh, young people who've been involved with it, or indeed any of the kind of data you've collected? Yes. So there are two studies in the project. One study is a game jam, testing whether the process of brainstorming, in this case about an ethnic identity, and then conceptualizing a VR game can lead to increased empathy and compassion. So we have concluded the game jam. The students spent several hours brainstorming on identity, uniqueness, differences, then they conceptualized a VR experience depicting ethnic discrimination, and then you had an experienced VR developer helping to implement the ideas in a 3D world, and then they had a chance to view it in VR. Early findings, the results we are seeing from the game jam show that, yes, yes. So that um, um, conversations about identity, at least for the, the, there is a change, there is an improvement after. We've had a time to, using the quantitative measures, we've had a time to, there's improvement, for the brain, brainstorming only in that group, they just had a conversation. VR was not involved. Okay, so they received a series of lectures. There were activities that helped them appreciate the uniqueness of their identity and that of others. There was an improvement. And then for another group that had that, plus conceptualizing a VR game, we saw improvement even more which is a good thing, which is one of the things we expected to get. There are, it's not without challenges, because um, fortunately, thanks to, if I should say here, thanks to advice from the folks at Jubilee Center, we made sure to, um, to make sure that this was a mixed method study, that the data collection was not only quantitative, but also qualitative. That was very, fortu- it was very fortunate, because and here, there are many lessons we are learning because we, we are able to see, uh, if you like, uh, more measurable impact using the qualitative measures. Okay. 
because the the attitude, the perception that the children had, we're talking about 14-year-olds, for example, most of them are around 14, 15-year-olds. They're able to express themselves better, which we captured more with qualitative measures, focus groups, storytelling. They're even clearer and more revealing. They have a greater appreciation of the different identities of their classmates who come from different ethnic groups. The study is in Lagos, metropolitan city that has all the ethnic groups uh, represented. They are able to uh, appreciate identities around appreciation of the, the, the meaning of a local name, a, a name from the local dialect, why it was given. Okay, so we captured all these through focus group sessions and their response to stories. I mean, that's a fascinating project, Eugene. And as I say, I think it's somewhat groundbreaking, not only in uh, Nigeria, but indeed kind of uh, more globally. I don't, I don't know many people using VR at all in uh, this sorts of area. And it sounds early results, uh, given the challenges of measurement, but it still sounds like it's very uh, promising. Um, I'd be really interested to know kind of what your hopes are for this kind of more broadly for kind of character education in Nigeria and in, indeed in, in Africa. We know that the Temple World Charity Foundation who are funding your project uh, are funding kind of other character education um, programs in other parts of Africa as well. But is I... Yeah, I'm speaking from a place of ignorance here. I'm not sure how much kind of character education is is kind of an area that that's well known in in Nigeria or indeed kind of more across Africa. Is it something that is focused or prioritised? Apart from homes and families, which are the we can say the predominant schools for character education, there are a few former bodies. I mean, there is a Nigerian Institute for Character Education, an NGO based in Benin City but it's not very popular, it's not very well known. But most uh, religious-inspired projects, such as schools and extracurricular activities, um, research-wise, I am not aware, I mean, I may not have searched where, but I'm not aware of any focus on character education per se, okay? But um, moral, a great value is placed on morals, in Africa, for example, I mean, there are high expectations that every family is responsible for teaching children. It's very typical to see a child on the road. I mean, there is a saying here that a child belongs to the entire village. You see a child doing something wrong on the road, anybody can correct them. Thank you. Now, um, in terms of formal education, would I say, for instance, that the Ministry of Education is very interested in character education? From the point of view of our research, um, like the one I mentioned earlier when we studied the, the problematic internet usage and work-family conflicts, and then the current one, the government usually is very cooperative and supportive of research work like this. So they give us access to schools. For example, right now, we have approval to 18 schools, which gives us access to potentially 15,000 students. Regarding the school curriculum, I think they do their best because in the civic education curriculum, they recently made it compulsory that every student in primary and secondary school studies civic education and a great component of civic education is character education. There is at least that intention. There are obstacles, for example. I, I, think, the, I think I would say that the most uh, significant obstacle in character education in Nigeria from my perspective is a lack of role models. There's a lack of role models in adults who lack consistency 
between what they say and what the kids see them do. So I think that's the key thing. There, there is, there's character education in the curriculum. For example, from the homes, we see a lot of, um, how do you say, disrupted families that children come from. And then the adults that they see, either parents or their teachers, there is no consistency be- between what they say and what they do. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of ethnic discrimination, which they see. And yet the content of some of these character education curriculum is, um, is against all of these things, okay? So there is a need for more uh, role models among the teachers and the, and the parents. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, non-profit, many non-profits are trying to fill this gap. Because yeah. I, I mean, the sorts of challenges and barriers uh, and approaches you outlined were probably fairly similar to a lot of countries. I mean, certainly the the importance of kind of character court. It's more about kind of role models and environment and ethos rather than kind of necessarily explicit uh, lessons. Although there is some um, place for the sorts of activities I think that you're you're doing for sure that are more kind of explicitly focused on uh, uh, particular cultivation of particular qualities but um also some of the uh, challenges of um you know where's the role for parents and where's the role for teachers and in, in, in this and you know kind of is there a gap between them sometimes it's one that's very very present in in you know uh, our country and, and uh, indeed other countries as well um, i'm wondering whether there is such a thing as a, a uniquely kind of african approach to to character education perhaps the emphasis is more on kind of communities and families than it than it is in some other places Places, but I don't know from your kind of experience or knowledge if you if you think that, that there is such a thing as that or, or perhaps there's the similar similarities are greater. I think one attribute of the African tradition, African society that may have an influence on character education is the communal nature, that we are more communal about everybody being involved on the one hand in the upbringing of children, but also less individualistic thinking about the others. There are some things that are considered natural, and even without giving them the name of virtues. For example, um, think about the others, the whole concept of, uh, okay, it's, it's a natural thing also because when you find in families that because of poverty, there's very little to eat, Everybody eats from the same pot. That, by its very nature, encourages thinking about the others. Or when you have uh, parents, which is the same thing with parents everywhere anyway, making sure their children eat even if they have to go hungry, by its very nature, teaches generosity. There is a, Character education is often embedded in the folklore and in songs. Uh, I forgot to say that when talking about how it's transmitted. Yeah, I think this is a key one. Eh? Character education is embedded in folklore songs. So you see stories of animals, and, but behind all of them, there is always a story. I think there is a lot of commonality in our in our work. I mean, a lot of struggles, uh, similar sorts of struggles that we're trying to, to work around. And I'm just wondering on your thoughts on how we can make, um, improve these links. Maybe, maybe we're not all... Um, approaching character education in the same way but some of the challenges are are similar and you know your thoughts on bringing kind of more global networks and and kind of partnerships together around this area i'd love to know what you think about that character education seem to have uh, different colors in different cultures and 
openness to how other cultures live them may show commonalities and may also show up differences that other cultures can learn from. So there may be a need for technology-driven platform to do two things. One, um, to curate content, collate character education stories from all over the world. For example, the initiative, the podcast series that you run, for instance, this, this is an interesting one. The stories of impact initiative, for example, that showcase some of the character development projects supported by the TWCF is another. Our lab recently participated at the Global Games for Change conference where we saw people from all over the world using technology and games to improve human flourishing and character development. So in summary, maybe technology-driven platforms to curate content help us to see patterns, help us to see commonalities, and when they are not where they are uniqueness, things to learn from there. What we finish these podcasts with, uh, Eugene, is um, something that we call virtues from a hat. And uh, I, I pull out a, a quality for my, my hat here. And then we just ask you to say someone who you think really exemplifies that uh, quality. You've talked a lot about role models and exemplification today. Um, so I'm going into my hat right now. So the word I've got actually is a word that came up earlier. The word I've got here is um, compassion. Uh, compassion. Can you, can you think of a, an exemplar of someone you think really showed great compassion? Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, compassion, if compassion understood as uh, empathy with the added social dimension of trying to do something about it, even though she didn't have the means, she could push other people to help her to solve the problem of poverty and improving human dignity. I would say Mother Teresa for compassion. That's fantastic. And it's clear that um, compassion is something that really drives a lot of your work and, and what you're trying yes. to uh, instill and cultivate in, in other people through your work. So that's a really nice example at the end and, and indeed uh, a really you. great example of a, a role model. Eugene, thank you so much for uh, the conversation today. I really enjoyed uh, our chat. Thank um, you. Again, I've learned more about your work uh, and hopefully this will encourage others to also look into some of the possibilities that uh, you've been talking about, how of how technology might be used to emphasise or enhance uh, more explicit approaches to character education. Thank you so much, Eugene. Thank you, Tom. I've enjoyed it myself. Thank you very much. Thanks to the back-end staff especially as well. We hope you enjoyed listening to Conversations on Character, hosted by Dr. Tom Harrison and produced by me, Joe McDowell, on behalf of the Jubilee Centre for Character and Virtue. To learn more about character, the research of the centre, or to give us feedback on this podcast, visit jubileecentre.ac.uk or find us on social media at Jubilee Centre One. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.